Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, this week I have another conversation with Chris Axelson. Chris has made it to Turkey and we are going to catch up on his travels from Croatia through Greece and on to Turkey. But before we get to that, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more, including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from Bimini's to Dodger's, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. Well, you know, I've been sitting around all summer long because of this ridiculous COVID nonsense. Now, I'm a, I'm a believer that the reaction to the COVID virus has been much worse than needed to be. And I'd also like to point out that the people that are controlling us, the politicians, they're not at risk of losing their pay. Every federal employee out there is still getting paid. It's only the private sector that is paying for the shutdown in the economy for COVID. So if you're a politician, there's no real rush to get back to work. But if you're in the private sector, especially if you're in the tourism industry, this has basically shut off your income flow. I think the reaction to this COVID virus has been much worse than needed to be. And I think it is an excuse, <laughs> this is my opinion, for government to steal away more of our individual rights. Anyway, that's the end of my editorial on the COVID, the Chinese virus, uh, for now. You probably have a different opinion, but that's okay. All right. <laughs> I've been tired of sitting around. I couldn't go sailing this year. I couldn't go to Italy this year. They barely opened up Croatia to sailors. So my wife and I decided to do a road trip. So we took about a week off, and uh, we drove out through Wyoming, for us, it was um, a day's drive to get from our house here to Cheyenne. And from Cheyenne, we decided to do the old Mormon Trail. Now, as you know, I live in Utah, and the, the Mormon culture is very strong in Utah, and I come from um, a polygamist. My great-grandfather came across the plains. He was quite the traveler. He was quite the traveler. He was born in Denmark. He apprentice to become a watchmaker, traveled to England, set up a, 
a jewelry company in England, traveled to Australia, set up a, a jewelry retailer in Australia, traveled to Christchurch, New Zealand, set up a jewelry store there. And then in, in Christchurch, New Zealand, he was converted to Mormonism. Then he came, you know, he, was, he was bouncing around all over the place. And when I think of the time he was doing it, it was six, you know, three to, three to six months to travel around the world at that time. And he was going back and forth to Europe and back and forth to the United States. But anyway, he converted to Mormonism and then came out across the plains in the, oh, around the 1860s, 18, I'd have to give you the exact dates, but 1850s. Came out to Utah, set up a jewelry store in Utah. It was a prominent jewelry store right on Main Street between um, South Temple and First South on Main Street and was very successful. And he married, uh, married a woman. And then later on in his life, when he was the age of 60, oh, 60, over 60 years old, he married two sisters, as I recall, a 17-year-old and a 16-year-old. <laughs> yes, we refer to him as the dirty old man. And I come from the youngest. So I come from the 16-year-old. So there's a lot of Mormon heritage, and my wife's family, one of her ancestors, actually came across with a handcart across the plain. So we decided to follow the old Mormon trail. So we went out to Nebraska and started at Chimney, Wa- Chimney Rock, which is at the western part of Nebraska. That was on the Mormon Trail and then followed it over to um, Devil's Gate. And then we traveled to Martin's Cove, and there's some church history at Martin's Cove. Martin's Cove was where one of the handcart groups coming across the plains got caught in a bad winter storm. They had left way too late for the season, and by the time they got to Martin's Cove, pretty much uh, in the middle of Wyoming. They got stuck in a big snowstorm and and were running out of food and supplies, and they hunkered down there. They really couldn't go on any further because they didn't have any food to keep going on, and they were going to all die unless, unless they got more supplies. And there was supplies that were sent out by Brigham Young to rescue them, and that's um, part of the history of the Mormon church. So from there, we went up to South Pass, which is where they went over the Continental Divide. And then from there, we sort of deviated away from the Mormon Trail. The rest of the trail goes down through uh, Bridger and Evanston and down Parley's Canyon, Echo Canyon, then down Parley's Canyon, and comes into the valley. From there, we sort of deviated. We just left the Mormon Trail. We'd seen enough of it. And we went up and spent a night in Lander, Wyoming, and then a night in Thermopolis, and then a night up in Cook City, way up in Montana, and then took a trip through the Yellowstone Park, starting at the northeast entrance, and then came out the south entrance. <laughs> there were a lot of people in the park. Surprising enough, in October, we thought it'd be a great time to go see the park, but there was still a lot of traffic in the park, Yellowstone Park. Then out to Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole was just one big traffic jam. And then spent the night in Afton, Wyoming, and then came back to Salt Lake. It was a nice trip. It was good to get out of the house, get out of the valley, get out of the ranch and go see something. 
like I say, we've been shut down because our government uh, bureaucrats have decided to shut down tourism. When the actual statistics come in, this is really not that much worse of a virus than any other virus. But our reaction to it has been much worse. Uh, especially if you're not of the uh, not old. Of course, I'm an at-risk person. But the kids should be back in school for crying out loud. It's absolutely no risk to the kids. It's just another virus to the kids. Anyway, like I said, enough of my commentary. I just finished up my first prototype of my do-it-yourself SOS man overboard torch. And I'm probably going to do a podcast on that later on and talk about the process of building this little simple SOS light, which you can do as well for about 10 bucks if you want to. Do have a couple questions from listeners? I will try to answer them as best as I can. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. All right, the first question comes from Max. Max wrote, Long-time follower of your podcast and have enjoyed your ASA recordings. I have a practical question which I assume you and perhaps other listeners such as Andrew Vick will have experience with. As a new owner of a sailboat based in Croatia, I'm wondering how VAT refunds work when I purchase goods and services in Croatia for my boat. When I, as the owner, reside in Canada, for example, larger purchases such as radar, generator, or new RIB, tender, etc., have you had any success in obtaining VAT refunds? All right. Max, I did buy new sales in Turkey, and they were expensive enough that I hired an agent to take care of it. It was a real pain in the butt. It was a lot of work. I wouldn't want to try to do it myself. That was in Turkey. I've not bought anything in Croatia yet where I would try to get a VAT refund, but I'm in the same situation as you are. I need a new dinghy, and that's going to be a lot of money, and I will probably have more experience this summer if I try to go down that path. I'm probably just going to bite the bullet and pay the VAT on it and not worry about it, but I did get a refund on VAT for my sales. It was about $500, and it took about three months to actually get the check in the mail. Don't really have much more for you than that. Maybe some of our listeners can give us more feedback on this, and if they do, I will forward whatever emails I get from them to you. All right, the next question is from Sarah Jane. She writes, Hi, my name is Sarah Jane, and I know... Hi, my name is Sarah Jane, and I know you from your podcast, Sailing in the Mediterranean. I am a freshman in college, and me and my friend are interested in being deckhands this summer for one season, maybe a month, probably somewhere in Europe in the Mediterranean. We have no experience sailing, 
people, we want to go to work on a boat this summer. It has been a dream of ours for a while, and we think this next coming summer would be the perfect opportunity for us. Do you have any recommendations for us or anyone you can refer us to? Thanks, Sarah Jane. Sarah, (laughs) you and probably a lot of other people have the same dream, and it's a great dream to have. I can refer you to several websites, and I will. There's one website called www.yacrew.com. It's more for professional crews. There's another one called www.crewseekers.net, C-R-E-W-S-E-E-K-E-R-S.net. And then there's another one called crewbay.com, www.crewcrewbay.com. Check those websites out and see if you can find anything that works for you. I think you got a couple strikes against you. Number one, when you say you and a friend want to go, well, that automatically relegates you to a larger boat. A smaller boat may only have room for one crew member, not necessarily two crew members. You don't particularly have any skills that you told me about. So you'll probably, if you can get any position at all, will be at the bottom of the rung, and it may be totally unpaid. You didn't say if you wanted to be paid or if you wanted to be unpaid. If it's unpaid, you probably have a much better chance of getting a uh, position than if you're paid. So those are the three websites. You're in a lot of competition with those websites, Years ago, when I was in Alicante, Spain, we were waiting to make a passage over to the Balearic Islands, and two Australian girls walked up to us when we were sitting in a restaurant at a marina and said, do you have a boat? And we said, yeah, we got a boat. He said, we're looking for a ride out to the islands. Can you give us a ride? And my boat's too small, and I already had three people on it. And I said, no, no, we don't have room, but best of luck. And when we got to Menorca, we saw them there on the, uh, on the dock that found a ride out there. They were just hitchhiking around. But being there made the difference for them. They just went from boat to boat until they found somebody that was heading the direction they wanted to go, and they went with them. I think trying to do everything online, trying to have all your ducks in a row, is pretty hard. I think you need to get out there, knock on boats, get to know the people. I would be hard-pressed to hire or bring somebody on my boat that I didn't have some sort of a conversation with, at least on the phone. And uh, perhaps I'd prefer it was in person. I've had a few people from this podcast join me sight unseen, but it's because they're listeners to this podcast that have joined me on the boat. There's Jack Andrews and Neil Fletcher, to name a couple, and they become lifelong friends. So... I think you just got to get out there. If you want to go to the Mediterranean, I'd say probably the place you want to go to. If you want to get on mega yachts, you'd go to where the mega yachts hang out at. And that would be Khan and the uh, big marinas along the uh, Costa del Sol. And uh, then France. I couldn't tell you those off the top of my head. One of the main places I would probably head over to would be Palma, Mallorca. There's a lot of mega yachts that come and go out of that particular marina. And you could go knock boat to boat and walk the docks and see what you could find. It's a good aspiration to have. It's a good dream to have. 
Don't let anybody take away your dream. Just go for it. That's all I have for questions this week. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm looking for more. If you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, My name is Franz. I am back with the third interview with Chris Axelson. Chris has put a lot of miles between him between the last time we talked and, uh, where we're going to catch up now. Chris is traveling around. Well, he started out in Croatia, worked his way down Croatia, uh, and now he is in Istanbul. In our last interview, our episode number two with Chris Axelson, uh, he was he was in Dubrovnik and he had not made the passage on to Greece or Italy or wherever, wherever you went from there. I know you could not get into Montenegro. They did not let you into Montenegro. But you are traveling with your family, on this COVID year, this China virus year, uh, you've got your wife, your son Lars, age 10, uh, your son Owen, age 8, and your daughter Katie, age 6. Let me ask you, on, uh, on the children, what are you doing for educating them right now? We started in uh, middle of May, and... Uh, Mandy and I made a couple of decisions. We decided, one, that the trip was an education in itself, and that was the reason we chose the Eastern Med, because of all the the great history that was here. And But we also felt like we needed to uh, make sure they stayed up on their their math and their writing and their reading. And our, our family's not... Uh, of course, we use computers in the business, and we, we live with them. But we're not we're not uh, intense digital people. But we we got each of the kids uh, a small iPad, and uh, then bought them some uh, reading uh, subscriptions so that they could uh, download books from the public library or from from some other children's reading websites. So. 
they they kept their their reading up to speed. They read a lot of great books on the trip, uh, and so they're 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 good little readers. And then we just had simple math homework books and and uh, English kind of comprehension books, and they worked on those all all spring, uh, and then but all summer long. So we didn't have a strong academic program, but we kept it going all the time. And they would uh, journal in the evenings. Uh, we wanted them to journal in the evenings five or six nights a week, and we may have achieved two or three nights a week. And, uh, uh, but they did do a lot of reading, and um, they would do uh, one of these pages from what's called Spectrum, uh, they make educational workbooks, and they would do uh, a, a grade-appropriate uh, math assignment, oh, four or five days a week. So we kept them up to speed uh, and and uh, with their with their math and reading, and they're they're good. They uh, they they write write pretty well as as well. So they would write about things they saw or the adventures we were on or you know, something imaginary if they had something going on that way. That's that's what we did for educational work. Okay. My daughters, I have twin daughters, and when I crossed the Atlantic, they were 10 years old. They didn't join me on the Atlantic crossing, but they um, they joined me when I got to Spain. And they we made them keep journals, and we've still got those journals, and we moved our house and recently ran across their journals and now they're 30, 33 years old, and they love those journals that they kept. It re- brings back the memories that uh, yeah. that we're so glad that we kept those journals, and so I'm sure it'll be a treasure to them later on, years as they get yeah. older. Yeah, that's what we figured. And the other thing we did is we kept all of the entry tickets to the museums and the antiquity sites that we went to and they would tape those into their journal books so you know the 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 same thing you're talking about you know they can flip through it and see uh the ticket stub from delos or something and and hopefully bring back some memories yeah yeah Uh, yeah. all right so we took we took the same approach you did i think good yeah, and I think the uh, travel is an education in and of itself. What What are you doing? I know when I've talked to Jack Andrews, and he's got three kids sailing with him right now, a little older than yours, but they started out about the same age. And uh, and one of the big things they've been doing is trying to meet up with other kids on other boats. And they use no the app No Foreign Lands to keep in contact with people with kids on their boats. Are you are you trying to do that, or you're not really worried about that? When we started the trip, we had uh, people that were going to visit us at very regular intervals—family members and and friends—and we had. I mean, thank goodness it didn't happen because it, it would have been ridiculous for us to try to accommodate all of them. But we basically, I can't remember, might have taken the advice. I think I took the advice from you, which was you can either pick a spot or you can pick a time, but you can't pick a spot and a time. And 
Was that your advice? I don't think so, but it sounds like good advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, with the, with the year of COVID, none of them could travel. We, we had no, we had no visitors. They had no way to get into Croatia or to Greece. They could have met us in Turkey, but by the time we got to Turkey, it was, you know, getting to be fall. And so that was, you know, that's a hard time. So anyway, we, but we also had hoped that we would find some families to sail with, but we saw the number of young kids, our, our kids age, say under 12, that we saw out sailing was, you could have counted them on, on two hands. There weren't any, um, you know, the Germans were mostly these boats filled with men um, and, you know, yucking it up and having a good time. And in Greece, uh, you know, they're all kind of skippered cruises. They tended to be older, older folks. We just never had it. We looked all over the place and and I'd gotten that tip about no foreign lands, but we couldn't find anyone to, to hook up with. So that was that was, say, the one low point in our planning that we, we'd hoped would be a high point is our kids making friends and, and doing that sort of thing. We'd, it, didn't, it didn't happen. The, the closest we got to it was when we were up there in murder and uh, we went to uh, one of the soccer pitches and we were playing there and uh, a group of kids showed up. And our kids had a great day of, of playing soccer with these uh, Croatian Croatian kids that were about the same age, and it was wonderful. And I only wish we could have done more of it, but it didn't it didn't happen for us. Well, one thing is you're bringing your family very close together. That's for sure. Yeah, sometimes a little closer than we wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. I got. I got to yeah, ask. I mean, that's go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, that, that's one of the great things that, that happens uh, is, is and one of the things we wanted to do uh, was have that time with the kids and sort of be immersed with them without any distractions. And, and uh, it was wonderful. And as you know, having six, eight and 10 year old, year old kids, sometimes it gets a little entertaining with them, but it was that end of things was fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So, we the last time we talked, you uh, you were in Dubrovnik, and you just mentioned you could not get down to Montenegro. So let's uh, follow your path from there and see how far we get today. Okay, so uh, we we came into Dubrovnik. We'd been over there in uh, in Millet, and we had decided that we would stay in that. Uh, that new marina there across from the customs dock uh, called uh, Marina Frappa. And it's a, it's a first class operation, you know, with uh, covered docks and swimming pool and it just a really, really nice facility. Um, and then they, they pinch you pretty hard in there for, for your money, but very good care, good supervision. And we, at that point in time, uh, still had not mastered the the med moor. So every time we came into these marinas, grabbing the mooring lines and running them up to the bow and trying to tension them and figure all of that stuff out was just 
difficult for us. Well, we we um, had planned to spend two nights there, but we ended up spending three because uh, a Scirocco came in on day one and blew itself out on day two. And on day night three, we decided we'd give it another day's rest, pick up the new wind that was coming out of the northeast, uh, yeah, the north someplace, and let the seas die down. Well, Nope. I think I lost him. Let me call him back again. back all right so the last i heard from you is uh you would you would uh, had a, a probably a bore not a scirocco come in and and you were in that marina frappa across from the customs check-in in dubrovnik so then you cut off there yeah so we 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 weren't real good with these mooring lines uh we didn't really understand how that that whole business worked with the bow lines, you know, that are tied down to those chains and then and then your stern lines and spring lines and everything. But we thought we'd done a pretty good job of it. Well, that weather came in, it's blowing 35 to 40 knots in the marina. There was probably in the marina, you know, like an 18-inch drop. So the boat was rocking back and forth. The rain was just pouring out of the sky. And at around... Two o'clock in the morning, oh, we lost you again. Hmm. Hundred RPMs to keep us off the. Okay, we, Chris, we seem to be breaking up a bit on Skype. Um, so so let's back up a little bit and. You said the you were you you didn't have the med mooring down, and you thought you had a good line on the bow, and then a big Scirocco or Bora came in. Can you hear me now, Chris? Chris, 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 Chris. All right, I'm going to hang up and call back again. Sure what's going on here yeah you keep dropping off and uh and maybe maybe it's on my end i doubt it but i because i'm on a hardwired internet connection with fairly fast internet but i'm going to yeah. go ahead and shut down my google earth because that may be taking some resources and also i'm going to shut down um, um google maps well i'll leave google maps open and see where we go from there but uh 
Anyway, let's let's continue on. Uh, hopefully, we won't, won't lose it. Where are you? you? Let's get this clear. Where are you at right now? You're in Istanbul, correct? We're in Istanbul in a in a uh, apartment here that we've rented, and uh, the kids are out doing their last minute provisioning, getting ready to. Hmm. I've moved closer to my router. Uh, hopefully it'll work better. Yeah. Are you still there? Yeah, but I lost you okay. for a second. So um, this will be a, we'll have lots of, uh, maybe, I, maybe I'll edit this, maybe I won't. I'll let people know what it's like to do a Skype interview sometimes. So you, are you still there? Are you still there? I am. Yep. Okay. Because I keep hearing this beep, beep, like we, I lost you for a second. But uh, we'll continue yeah. on here. All right. So, all right. Okay, so now we know where you're at. Let's continue with the problem you had at the marina in Dubrovnik. <clears throat> what happened? Yeah, we had this just terrible weather, and we thought we'd done a good job tying up our lines, uh, you know, with the, the mooring style where you you back in and you, you tie your stern lines on and, and you get these bow lines and they come off the chains in the ground and you tie those up. And we, we did not do a good job of getting them properly tensioned. And uh, it wasn't until a later uh, uh, event in, in uh, Mykonos where we learned that you, you, you got to get those stern lines on and then you, 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 know, you, drive, you drive forward with the engines really humming to stretch those lines out and then you hook up those bow lines and then you back down hard on those and tighten your stern lines and until everything is, you know, as tight as a drum uh, and, and then life is good. We, we, we just didn't take enough slack out of those lines and we were bouncing around like a pinball there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we nicked up the gel coat a little bit, nothing that we couldn't repair nicely, but, uh, that was that was uh, a pretty frustrating evening, and we had those guys next to us in this big powerboat who just sat there and watched us suffer in the pouring rain and lightning and wind and <laughs> some kind of evening. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's just talk through this for uh, for 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 people that are going over there and, and talking about this med mooring thing. For me, it's always an adventure to to do a med mooring. I don't care how long you've been doing it's. For my boat, which is a full keel boat, it just does not back up in a straight line. So I'm always putting bumpers over and bouncing off other boats and the docks as I'm backing in. And But I eventually get back, and I'll throw a line to shore. And then uh, if it's got a laid mooring, uh, which a lot of them do in, in Croatia. In Greece, not so much. In Greece, I'm relying on my anchor, which makes it a lot easier to back down. But in Croatia, yeah. where you've got a laid mooring, uh, you got to run a line from the shore all the way out to the bow, and it's usually this dirty, grungy, filthy line that's going to just, that if you're lucky, you might be able to get through your hawse pipes. It's usually about two yeah. inches in diameter, and I can barely get mine through my hawse pipe. And the, these these moorings are set up for different size boats, so they may stick you in there, and in, in my case, I've got the trailer. Quite often, it's the trailer line that takes you out to the big line 
that I have to wrap, wrap around my bits because I can't, I'm too short to get to the big line. But nonetheless, yeah. once you get the big line in and wrapped around a cleat or a bit in my case, um, I always loosen up my stern lines so I'm, you know, 10 feet away from the wall. And then I'll tighten up that bow line. And as long as I've got control of my stern, that gives me enough slack that I can tighten the bow line. Otherwise, you're just fighting your stern line and the bow line. So you got to loosen that stern line enough that you can get some good, uh, some good, you get that bow line, the laid mooring on a good cleat. And you don't want to be fighting yourself. So I always give myself lots of slack on my, st my stern lines to be able to hook up the bow line. And so once the bow line is hooked up, then I will take my stern lines and first of all, reverse the engine and back it against and back it up as far as it'll go. And if I'm too still too far away from the wall at the key, I may need to go forward and loosen up the bow line a little bit. If not, then I'll just keep backing it up with the engine, tightening up my stern lines and then uh, giving it a good pull with my engine and if I need to go it even further if I need to take it even further back I'll use a winch to bring my stern lines back farther but that's the key yeah. for me that's always been the key don't fight the bow line with the stern lines give yourself plenty of slack on the stern lines so you can put that big ugly mooring line through uh through whatever you got to get it through and get that cleated off and uh but yeah, that's that's the trick you learn with time. I didn't do it that way initially, and just like you, I have uh, scratches and gel coat scratches to show for it. So, that's... Yeah. well, it was it was frustrating, and and uh, I was our boat weighs thirty three thousand pounds, and it's not. You know, it's not 45 feet long and 15 feet wide. It's 45 feet long and 26 feet wide. So it has all this windage and weird kind of pivoting that it does. If there's only one bow mooring line, then the thing is working all cockeyed off of it. It it just took us the longest time. I, I'm pleased to say that we became adequate at it. Uh, and and didn't uh, other than that night didn't embarrass ourselves too badly. Although I think we did provide some harbor entertainment a number of times. Pretty sure we did. <laughs> yeah, everybody provides their fair share of entertainment as you get through the learning curve. That's the reality of it. So, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I put a scratch in my gel coat. It was the most painful thing that's ever happened to me. It was on a a concrete key up in Lund, Canada, and I'd pulled in, and I didn't have a bumper down, and it just scratched, and I still see it. It's there to remind me to this day. Every time I see that scratch, I know where it came from. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, that was, that was Dubrovnik. We had a great time touring the walls. The walls were spectacular. We'd heard about, you know, this nonstop line that kind of, walks around the thing but in the year of covid it wasn't like that up there it was busy but not 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 stressfully so um and so we did we did that while we were in dubrovnik and and had a nice time and got ourselves reprovisioned and had a few 
I don't know, minor things that we had to do on the boat before we <clears throat> felt ready to go overnight. And then uh, right across from Frappa uh, is the customs house and customs and immigration, the whole shebang is in, in one location. So uh, this would be our first time checking out. So I wanted to make sure that I understood how it worked. And um, Owen, my eight-year-old, and I went over there. I found I found dealing with authorities, it was handy to have an eight-year-old with you because they tended to treat you nicely. Uh, so we went over there, and I, I brought our paperwork. This was the day before we checked out. I brought our paperwork to learn how the process worked. And when I went up to see the folks in, uh, I guess it was the port police, and they looked at our paperwork and they said, um, you've been sailing in Croatia for a little over a month. And uh, your paperwork said you were leave is it's a, a month overdue. And I had explained to them that the port police in Shibenik had said, you buy. Remember, we were we were there for 10 weeks in in um, in Croatia. So the port police in Shibenik had told me that if you go over, don't worry about it. You'll just pay the difference when you check out. So there I was told that there was going to be a very substantial fine uh, for my misunderstanding as well as the regular price. Uh, but he was very nice to us. He said, listen, I don't want to ruin your trip to Croatia. So let's, Let's let's get your paperwork up to up to snuff here. You pay me for two days uh, of sailing, and uh, so you can you can check in today, and then you can check out. You not check in. That's the wrong language. You can pay for your sailing yesterday and today, and then tomorrow when they go to process your paperwork, you, it'll all look right. So I think I paid them, um, you know, eight euros or something like that, and. Uh, uh, our paperwork was all up to date. So the next day when we went over, it was very simple and, and, uh, it took us, you know, maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes to get checked out. And that was at four o'clock in the afternoon and we were ready to go. So they were, they were very accommodating to us. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's a good story to hear. So they basically worked with you. So I they, guess... They, I think they understood that we weren't trying to pull a fast one. We just, we'd been thought I misunderstood what the directions were. Now, what's interesting about that, and he went into painful detail on, on this. This is, this is uh, what they call the cruising, there's the cruising tax. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is the way it was explained to me is it's a tax like a hotel, um, room nightly room taxes so if you come in and pay for 30 days and you you're on the you're on the boat for say 30 days but you're you take five days and you go to Zagreb and then you take six days and you go someplace else so you're in country for say 45 days, the tax only applies to the number of nights that you're on the boat. 
Really? And are you supposed to keep track of the nights you're on the boat? You can if you want to. Hmm. And if you can show them uh, like a hotel receipt or some kind of other form of lodging while you're there in country, then you won't have to pay for more than the 30 days in my example. Okay. Well, I'd always known it was like a hotel tax, but I didn't know that you could um, put it on hold, so to speak, if you left the boat and went and paid for a hotel somewhere. So that's, that's information that I was not aware of. Well, it, that was the first time I heard it. When we were walking out the door, uh, we were informed of that. So I passed that along, and I would, I would suggest that if anybody wants to take advantage of that, they check with the port police before they um, you know, do that, make sure that what I understood is, in fact, the way it is. Well, when I was there, and I went to exactly that, um, did I go to that? Uh, yeah, I went to that same customs dock that you did when I checked in the last time. Um, they explained it to me that if you are going cruising for a month, but if you're staying in hotels, you do not need to pay that cruising tax. But if, they, but if you do end up staying on your boat and they catch you, then there will be a big fine. So they're, they're pretty much upfront about that, that it is basically a hotel tax. And if you want to go cruising and you're going to go put your boat in a marina every night and go stay in a hotel, then you don't have to pay that tax. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I've always said it's not worth the risk. And I say, oh, give me more time than I'll be there. It's just not worth it to me. I've, it's, yeah. it's not enough that it's going to ruin my, my trip, even though it's gotten a lot more expensive over the years. So just be aware of that. But yeah, I went into that same, that same office you went into when I checked in to get my cruising permit last time. So you were checking out, I was checking in. But uh, now, did you take your boat from the marina and go over and tie up on the customs dock, or did you just walk around to the customs dock? No, they they uh, we we had to bring the boat over. Okay, uh, that was one of the things I wanted to know that on my you know, test run the day before was, how, what do I do? How do I do it? And so, yeah, we brought our boat over and, and uh, checked out from there. Okay. Yeah, because that, that wall is a pretty high wall and pretty bumpy because there's so much traffic going in and out of there. Of course, it, for us, there was not a... The, the only other boat that showed up was uh, uh, a pretty modest 180-foot schooner that came in as we were leaving. <laughs> Uh, uh, but we were able to fit in between, you know, how they have those big giant black rubber fenders there for the cruise ships to mm -hmm. bump up against. We, we were able to find a beautiful piece of granite wall that was smooth and didn't have any rebar sticking out of it or anything like that. And we fit in between very snugly in between those two black fenders. Okay. So, yeah, it worked out pretty nice for us. All right. So you clear out. Now, you, did you clear out? What time did you finally clear out the next day? Was it around 4 in the afternoon or was it in the morning? Yeah, 4, four in the afternoon. And we were going to sail uh, down to Corfu because uh, we couldn't – We Montenegro wouldn't let us in. And uh, Albania, uh, we didn't – Albania was in trouble with COVID, and if you went there, then you weren't going to be able to 
go anyplace else. So uh, we stayed away from Albania. We decided we'd just sail straight to Corfu. And I had for probably 72 hours before leaving, been in touch with the port police down in Corfu. And every time I called them, they said, you're welcome. We would love to have you uh, get on your boat and come on down. And and then I'd call them back six hours later and say, now, I, I just I need to make sure I understand this. We're welcome. We can come in and check in and sail. And they said, yes, of course you can. You're in an EU country. It's no problem. And the advice on the Department of State, U.S. Department of States was, uh, we're not going to let you in. And the advice on uh, the Greek site said, we're not going to let you in. But when I uh, talked to them, they said, of course, we'll let you in. You've been sailing. And, and, and at this point in time, there, there, it was, we were definitely in the mode of things are opening up and it could change at any day. And uh, it looked like they were going to be letting U.S. citizens in uh, shortly. Uh, and so we, we felt like, okay, well, this is a little bit of a stretch, but we're running out of time in Croatia. We were, we'd used up, uh, what did we use up? We used up 78 days. So we were, we were about to be in trouble in Croatia and, and hit the 90 day mark, which would have meant we left the boat and went home, or we could figure out how to go longer. So we made, we made those calls. We were very diligent about calling and they told us Absolutely, come on down. We'd love to see you. So uh, we took off at four o'clock that afternoon, and that was back in uh, August. Let's see, it was uh, August sixth. We left, and that was a that there'd been a Scirocco coming up the coast, and but we got out there a few miles off, and uh, uh, we had a nice. A nice breeze behind us, maybe six to eight knots, and the seas were were uh, not almost nothing. Um, and then the then the wind came up to about eighteen to twenty two, and we were we were off and gone uh, until about midnight, and then it calmed down quite a bit. Now this was the first time my crew had ever sailed the boat, had ever been on a boat at night. Um, so this was, you know, this was <laughs> a pretty good adventure for everybody. And, but we had all the right equipment. We had, we had a uh, brand new radar on the boat, brand new AIS. Uh, both were working, working great. And, um, and so we made that, we made that passage down uneventfully. We went by Albania. I don't know. I think you're maybe 30 miles offshore. Does that sound right? Yeah, as I'm looking at this, it's probably about 30 miles offshore. If you if you're doing a direct line from Dubrovnik down to uh, down to where you'll go down to Corfu, yeah, you're going to be probably 30 miles offshore. Yeah, at the at the farthest spot. Yeah, maybe 30, yeah. 35 at the farthest spot. Yeah. Yeah. So we we. We did that, and then, uh, let's see, we were coming in, you know, you come into Corfu there, and it's a pretty long haul 
uh, once you get near land, you still got, I don't know what it is, 25 miles or something to, to, to get to the, to the harbor. Um, and so we were coming in there and, and everything is, is kind of coming into Corfu. So you've got, you've got the ferry traffic from Italy coming in. You've got the local Greek traffic coming in. You've got the, the tankers that are coming down from, you know, Venice and Northern industrial Italy. They're all, everything's kind of coming in there. It gets a little lively, uh, in the dark, uh, and our boat's pretty big, uh, but it's, it's a little bit lively there and you're sharing the space with, with, uh, those big, oh, I can't remember what they're called. The lines there, the red star or whatever they are, uh, ferry lines that they're running, you know, they're running at 18 to 22 knots. We're running at six and, uh, the AIS data, do you have AIS in your boat? Not yet. Everybody keeps telling me I need to, and I probably will at some point in time. And by the way, I just yeah. I just measured it uh, from Dubrovnik uh, to Corfu. You would get about 53 miles offshore if you're doing the rum line. Yeah, that's what we did. Yep, okay. Um, so so the AIS has the ability that gives you two Two pieces gives you a lot of information, but two pieces of critical information. One is uh, the CPA, which is the closest point of approach, and the second is is the time uh, interval before that happens. So, so you can uh, you can kind of have a pretty good sense when you're looking at the the chessboard there of of how everything's going to come together. And then you're using your radar to try to pick up uh, any boats that may not be be running AIS, which is a lot of the local fishing boats don't have it. Uh, and of course, they're wood and they're low to the ground. And so they have uh, periodic radar signal, uh, not not a very consistent, strong one. Uh, so you're, we were we were working our way through that. And. Um, got down to Corfu at just as the sun was coming up and and uh, we came in we came in from that north side there in through that little tricky spot with the islands and rocks and stuff and one of these big ferries came by and uh, uh, got on their radio and said make sure you keep your CPA you know no less than 150 meters so so I knew he wasn't going to move. I knew I was the one that was going to have to be doing the moving here. Uh, but that's, you know, a really cool safety feature is they can tell you what they want you to do. And with the with that technology, you can you can do it and do it pretty easily. Um, so we we came into Corfu. Uh, we tried that marina on the north side. What's that thing called? Uh, um, no, no, you got it. It's uh, Gauss Marine, I think is the name of it. Gau, Gau. No. Just a second. Yeah. Let's see if I can. Govia. G O U V I A. Govia Marina. Yeah. Govia. Govia. Well, Govia has gone to uh, the latest and greatest technology of online birth booking. 
and and you book your berth, and then they they tell you that uh, stand by, they'll be back to you in the next 48 hours to let you know if, if you've got a berth. Well, they never got back to us. And one of the big problems with the year of COVID is the charter boats were never leaving. Mm. So all the charter boats are staying in the marina. So we got to Govier and, mm. and uh, uh, we'd been told we could check in there, but we couldn't check in because one, there wasn't a berth and two, it was on Saturday and there was no, no uh, uh, you know, officials there. So we went down to the, the commercial port and uh, pulled in, tied up, and I got all my, my records together and went into the port police and uh, was met by an, a nice, nice fellow. And, and uh, in 15 minutes, he had us uh, all checked in. And all we had to do at that point in time was go up to the customs dock, which was uh, maybe a quarter of a mile away, and get our uh, passport stamped, pay a, pay a tax, and then bring that work back to the port police, and they would give us our uh, our travel documents for the boat. So I went walking up there with a real spring in my step. I thought, gosh, they were right. We can come to Greece. Isn't this fabulous? We've got the port police is so welcoming. They never said anything about U.S. citizens are not allowed. And here I go. And what was I so nervous about? And I walk through the door and there's a, a bureaucrat, like nobody's business on a Saturday. And he looks at me and he says, you're from the United States. What do you think you're doing here? You can't come here. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no, you got to be kidding me. And there's an agent, and the agent says, let me talk to him. And the agent and this guy are, you know, you know how they are. They're shouting at each other and yelling, and the hands are getting waved all over the place. And they're walking away and coming back. And, and finally, this agent comes up and says, you're not getting in. It's not going to happen. And I'm thinking... You gotta be kidding me. The port police have said yes, and this one person is gonna stop us. So I go back to the port police, they get on the phone, they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, after like three hours of this, the port police says, You gotta give me that paperwork I gave you, you're not getting in. So I give them the paperwork. I get my 15 euros back and I said to him, what do we do? And he goes, well, you can't be on land. And if you want, you could sail around a little bit. And as long as you don't go on land, it'll be okay. But you can't go on land. And if you get caught on land, you're going to be in trouble. So I remembered this guy from Frappa this German fellow, older sailor, and he told me anything is possible in Greece. You just have to keep the right attitude, keep smiling, and if you if you do things right, anything is possible. And I thought, well, that guy got that wrong because this isn't going to happen. So the, the port police 
I go back, we have a little family meeting and we're kind of going, well, what do we do? Do we go back to Croatia and park the boat in a marina and call it quits? And my family's kind of like, hey, you know, we just sailed 250 miles. We don't want to turn around and go back to Croatia. Okay, so what do we do? And we asked the port police, can we transit Greece? And they told us, you can transit. Do not go on land. You can sail through. You can stop in the harbors. You can go swimming. You can have somebody bring you groceries, but you can't go on land. So we got the Google Earth out and kind of plotted it out and figured that we could, in two weeks, we could sail across the Aegean and get to Turkey. So that's what we did, Franz. We, well, now, we, now, now what about going through the Corinth Canal? You had to get on land to go through the Corinth Canal. I asked them that question, and they said, you will be fine in the Corinth Canal. Okay. No problem. Okay. Boats transit there all the time. Tankers go through there. They're not cleared in. You can transit the Corinth Canal. I said, you sure? And he said, yeah, no problem. They won't even ask you for your paperwork. So Mandy and I talked about it, and we said, okay, let's, let's go for it. We're not ready to call a quit to this dream trip that we have. And so we, we decided we would sail uh, a day at a time to straight through to, to Turkey. And it looked like it would take us about two weeks to do that, knowing nothing. We knew nothing about what was, about, what was ahead of us. So, um, so we, uh, we took that on, and, and we started the, the, the trip down based on, on that, you know. And so we had to— we had to sail down through Lefkis and through the Lefkis Canal, and there were all kinds of port police in there. And, you know, I'm kind of like got sweat pouring down my forehead. Every time I go by the Coast Guard, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they've all heard about us. They're going to they're gonna want us. <laughs> and, of course, you know, they could have cared less. Mm -hmm. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they really uh, don't so care. Really I thought— here, here, here's what I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to say, okay, I couldn't check in at Corfu. Let's go down to Levkus and see if they'll let me check in. Because that's a that's another port of entry as well, right? Yeah, I I was I I was really I have to tell you, I was really out of sorts, Franz, to think that I was in this country, you know, quasi legally, quasi illegally. Um, uh, and I kind of, I mean, I was kind of in a sweat about the whole thing and, and, uh, they told me that, you know, one of their ch options was if I didn't hurry up and get out of Corfu is that they could put a note on our passports that we had been thrown out of Greece. And they said, if we do that and I can do it right now. You will never come back to this country. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh boy. Jeez, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, so, so all I wanted to do was once we decided we were going to do it, all I wanted to do was just kind of put our nose to the grindstone, don't look around, pull the hat down low over the face, and 
take our 45 foot lagoon, you know, to Turkey. So that's what we decided we would do. And so we sailed down, we went through the Lefkis Canal, we went and sailed in that kind of inland saltwater bay there near Lefkis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what that's called. Um, and I then just, I just call that whole thing the Ionian, the Ionians, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we, um, and we were putting in kind of long days, you know, and, and just trying to hustle over there. And, and, uh, we met, we went to one place. I can't remember what that was. See what that's called. Uh, uh, Porto, Porto Leone on, on uh, North Castos. And we pulled in there and that was a real party stop. Lots of young people, lots of, lots of those boats cruising around with the music playing and, and everything. And we saw that was the first place where we saw the the uh, the paddle boat with the slide on it that that uh, your your interviewer there that's in Tunisia and, and Malta that we were talking yeah. about I can't remember but yeah he talked about it so we were laughing because there there the there was this boat you know with these two people paddle boarding it and the kids sliding down the slide into the water well we met an American. And I went over to talk to him, and and uh, that was the second American that we'd met on our entire trip. And uh, but he was he was um, uh, had two passports. He had a Greek passport and an American passport, so he he was there legally uh, sailing his boat, and he had no advice for us. So uh, we kept going, and uh, from Port Porto Leon we. We went to Messalonghi, and that's that's where we caught our break. That's where things really changed for us. And and Messalonghi is, have you been in there? Yes, I have, uh-huh. a couple times. It, oh well, it's kind of a weird place. You know, yeah. it has that really it estuary felt, feel to it. It it felt and weird to me. The whole for like, go ahead. The whole town felt weird to me when I've been in there. It just felt strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm, so I'm glad to hear that you had the same impression of it then. Okay, go on. No, we did. And, and it's that it's got like, you feel like you're in the Everglades motoring up this channel with the grass kind of on all sides and, you know, these houses on, on, on stilts there. And it's a pretty long haul in there. I think it's like 40 minutes of, of powering to get in there. And then when you get there, you're you're in like a swimming pool. It's completely concreted around the sides and lovely little spot filled with restaurants. And uh, we we knew some people from Messalonghi. They had delivered a boat for Dream Yacht Charters to uh, the Shibanik uh, branch. And it pulled in along beside us, and we'd made friends with them. And they were Greeks, professionals in the yacht business. And they had said, uh, if you ever need a hand with anything, give us a call. We live in Messalonghi. We'll be happy to help. So we got in touch with them. Turns out the husband was sailing over in uh, 
you know, in the um, in the Aegean, but his wife was there, and so uh, we had dinner with him. And it was a strange dinner because there are tons of restaurants, and they they were all setting the table. Uh, their tables out on the lawn and the restaurant we ate at probably had, I don't know, like 70 or 80 tables out on the lawn. And, and Mandy and I and the kids were sitting there. It's maybe 6.30 in the evening. There's not another soul in the restaurant. All these other restaurants are all doing the same thing. And I'm thinking, gosh, it's the year of COVID. These guys are really got some positive attitude if they think we're going to go at six o'clock from nobody eating to filling up 70 tables. So anyway, that's what we thought. And um, we met we met the wife of the, the skipper that we met at Dream Yacht Charters, had a nice time with her, talked through Greece and how things were going. And uh, then that night at around 12 o'clock, the music was going and we stuck our head out of the hatch. Every one of those tables was filled and this little sleepy town was all ha having a great time. Um, so that was Messalonghi. Well, the next day we got up and, and we were, uh, uh, sailing along and we, we came up to, uh, Patras there. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm -hmm. Patras? Yeah, that's how I say it. Yeah. 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 Patras. And we went under that big bridge at Patras, and the phone rang. And so I answered the phone. It's a Greek number, and it's uh, Nicole. And Nicole says, I've been making phone calls all morning, and I want you to go to Patras, and you're going to get cleared into Greece. And I said, Nicole, uh, they just told us no way. It's just not going to happen. She said, I've talked to these people and it's going to happen. I need you to turn around and go back there. So at this point in time, we're, we're, we're parked at, at um, uh, what is it, Nafpaktos? Oh, oh, really? You got up to into Nafpaktos? Yeah. So we're parked. So, about, so, which so is hold on, hold on. Did you actually go in the passage into the little harbor inside there? No, we're we're outside okay. At the beach. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, all right. And we've dropped the hook. We got a nice bite. We're gonna have lunch, and she calls back and she said, "You need to go now. I, they're waiting for you." And I. I looked at Mandy. I said, Mandy, I mean, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with these people anymore. These officials have me spooked. I don't want to get thrown out. We have a game plan. We're going to Turkey. She's like, yeah, what? Let's just go. So we pull up the anchor. We turn around. We go down to Patras. We pull into the harbor and there's a guy waiting for us on the dock. And, and, uh, he says, I'm, I'm here to get you cleared in. And he's uh, with a, an agent down there. And, and I said, Is, you know about the situation? He goes, 
yeah, this is my job. I get you cleared in. Just give me your paperwork and this is what I do. I get you cleared in, which is, I, you know, what does that mean? This is what I do. I just, I had, okay, fine. So, uh, uh, I hand him the paperwork and he, and he says, uh, I've got your boat insurance here, but you need to have, uh, a separate rider for Greece and that has to be in Greek. So, you know, I don't have this at this point in time, it's still like seven o'clock in the morning in the United States. I can't get it. Uh, and, but finally I get in touch with Pantanius at eight o'clock in the morning and they're terrific and they email it to me and I forward it to, to our agent and he says, great, I will see you at five o'clock this afternoon and you'll be all set. So I'm thinking he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know. He's has no idea what's going on here. And so he shows up at the boat at five o'clock and he's got the boat is in. We've got our travel documents for the boat and he gives me the passports and I look in them and they're not stamped. And the sweats now, you know, now the armpit sweat is down around my waist. I'm just, I'm out of my mind. It's 105 degrees there. And, and I said, this is great, but we can't be here. They said, what do you mean you can't be here? You just came from the EU. You can be here. And I said, they stamped us out. We have to be stamped in. And he kind of grumbles and he looks at the passport. He goes, why did you let them stamp you out? And I went, because we were leaving Croatia and we had to be stamped out because it's not Schengen. And so we have to be stamped out where we're going to is not is Schengen. So, so he's kind of grumbles and gets on the phone and he's talking away to, to somebody. I have no idea who it is. And, you know, they have that colorful speech. You don't know if they're laughing or if they're mad the, the way they go. And he gets off the phone. He says, give me your passports. I have an appointment there at nine o'clock tonight and I'll get them stamped and I'll be back here at 10. So he calls me up at 9.30 and he said, I'm about to get your passport stamped, but you know you only have 12 days to be in this country. He said, I, it's not how I understand it. My understanding is, is that we are now in Schengen, that we have left, the, we left Croatia, which is non-Schengen, and that we can be here and that the clock restarts. And I hear him start talking in Greek in the background and he gets back on the phone. He said, I'll take care of this. Uh, I'll get back to you shortly. Shortly doesn't happen. He comes back and half an hour later, he's got five passports. They're all stamped in clock is reset. He goes, I'm sorry, but the customs guy, he thought Croatia was Schengen. <laughs> I'm thinking, my God, how could you think such a thing if that's your business? But anyway, we were stamped in. It took, you know, like, I don't know, eight or 10 hours to do it. And um, done deal. We spent the night on the dock there. We were all legal and our trip rebooted. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, did you go back through the Ionians then? Did you turn around and 
go back and see uh, all the Ionian islands that you'd missed or what did you do? No, we, we, you know, at this point in time, we'd spent 10 weeks in Croatia, which was two more weeks than our timeline had allowed. And we, our trip started a few weeks later than we wanted it to. So we felt like in order to try to meet our objectives, we would just keep going. And so we had a great sail. We went to we went back to Nafpaktos and just loved that place. Ah, the restaurants were fabulous. Eating inside that harbor. All right, Chris. Food. Chris, I'm stopping it right now. We've gone on about uh, an hour now. I'm going to stop the recorder and I'm going to restart it, and we're going to continue our conversation right here. So hold on a second. Well, today I got some really bad news. One of my clients, he's been a client for over 30 years, and I consider him a friend, but he passed away. I got a call from his wife this morning, and fortunately for me, I did have lunch with him just a couple days ago, and he seemed like he was in great health. He and his wife sailed with me many years ago in Turkey, And it was his wife's first experience in traveling outside the United States. And since then, they've traveled all over the world. So this is important. My ending has a special significance today. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f- What the f- gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.